This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer. And today we have a very special guest in Mr. Robert Russo. That's everybody at Independent Advisor Alliance just getting excited. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate being on. Hopefully that people will still be cheering once this is over. Absolutely. Good to have you. Robert is the CEO and founder of Independent Advisor Alliance, which is a hybrid RIA. Been in the business since 01. Looks like you went to AG Edwards after a couple quick stops in, in 2002. And then basically been with LPL all the way since 07. But then it looks like you were registered and then you started the hybrid RA in 2013. I got those numbers right? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. The first assets went in in 2014. Fantastic. Awesome. So you were an independent advisor prior to creating this hybrid model? I was, yeah. So I originally started with AG Edwards. I, Long story short, I started at Ameriprise, which was American Express Financial Advisors. Passed my seven, failed my 63. They sent me over. Uh, they said, go leave. You, you didn't pass the test. And then I went to AG Edwards. So I really cut my teeth at AG Edwards, moved to LPL in 07 as an advisor doing mostly corporate and institutional work. Fantastic. Yeah, I saw a lot of 401k stuff. And then did you end up selling that off or are you still managing that? Nope. I am not a producer at all. I don't manage any clients of any kind that was sold to a gentleman that we had recruited over from another firm. Got it. Awesome. Fantastic. So now you focus day-to-day -day as a CEO of the hybrid. That is correct. Absolutely. Awesome. awesome. One of the interesting things is, is that Advisor Alliance has really, really ramped up through the last few years. I've seen significant growth. I've, I've seen you online, kind of seen the name, didn't know you at all, actually just met you four and a half minutes ago, but watching this growth of this hybrid start. And it was interesting because, you know, as I was in the bank channel and then I went independent, the concept of RIA was new and I didn't even really look down that path. And I don't know if I would have, or, you know, maybe I should have, I don't know, but but at the end of the day, it's a very neat concept in the way that the advisory business is, is completely separate. You have your different custodians, but then you're also are connected with LPL. So you have that powerful resource as a partner. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, I mean, one of the advantages in, in what we do is advisors like you and everyone, when you start to go the independent route, you kind of have two choices and they're opposite ends of the spectrum. You go size and scale, or you go on the other side and you're trying to find more where you know the CEO, you know your team, right? It's a much more customized service experience. And, you know, we've been very lucky because I think people have understood now that you really don't have to choose, right? So we can have size and scale by having a broker dealer like LPL, um, but yet have a customized experience team behind the scenes um, working on your behalf. So really trying to marry the best of both of the spectrums. And that's really why we've been, I think, having some success over the last five or six years. And tell me if I'm wrong, it sounds in the name, at least, that the concept is, is that you're there to provide the best you can for your advisors. And at the end of the day, they are independent. They have their own independent practices. How does that look like contractually with you and the advisors you bring on? Yeah, they're 1099 contractors. They own their own business. And our role here at Independent Advisor Alliance is to take advisors and work with them to help them execute their vision. So... Our vision as a firm, we have our own vision and every individual advisor and their team, they have theirs. And our role here, our mission is to help them execute it. So they come up with the ideas, they come up with what they want to do. You've had previous advisors of ours on your show and they're all very unique and we have to be able to be nimble and be able to support them to hopefully help them, right? That size and scale is great, 
but sometimes you just have to bring it down a notch and have more one-on-one conversations. And that's what we're able to do. So in essence, they're 1099, they have their own firm and you firm name, they own their clients. And at the end of the day, you guys are providing additional resources in size and scale to help them achieve their goals. Exactly. You should be on my sales team. How how much are you paying? Uh, Tell us about the day. You know, the interesting thing is you were an advisor. Many advisors that go independent are always looking to grow. They're looking to grow their practices. Some do it a, a lot better than others. Some don't do it at all. Some go independent or create their own firm just to be kind of left alone too, right? You're now no longer an advisor. You're a CEO of this company. What does the day in the life of Robert look like? Yeah, it's the similarity to an advisor is that usually most days are not the same, right? There's always something that comes up. And like advisors, we have clients and we have things that need to be escalated. So there's always kind of those things that you don't plan for throughout the day, right? The client calls, the market's down. We have those same sort of items with advisors calling us with a scenario. And then there's really just managing the team. So when we started and you're smaller, I was kind of the jack of all trades, right? I was compliance, you know, I was sales, I was helping people with succession planning, m and all those things, right? That I could only really go about an inch deep on. And now we've got 28 employees and we have people that are smarter than me. And so my role day-to-day is essentially just making sure that all of these departments are really talking and that there's a cohesive message that's being sent out to the advisors. And when they have an issue or a request that it's being handled, nothing falls through the cracks. And then exterior-wise or externally, It's focusing on if people are going to hire us on their behalf to work with a broker dealer custodian, I have to be able to spend time with those folks to keep that relationship in a positive light. So I'm on, you know, whether it's Fidelity or Schwab or LPL and those types of vendors, I work with them quite frequently. Size-wise, what did the business look like in 2014, 2018, and now 2022? Yeah, well, in 2013, we were zero. I sold my practice and started the firm and we've first assets went in in 2014. And, you know, we were really just trying to get at the time, I believe there was a hundred million dollar minimum to be SEC registered. I think they've recently increased that, but, you know, really just trying to be SEC registered, not have to deal with individual states. And then from there, we really grew more than hundred percent every year. And where we sit today, you know, we're just about 16 billion in assets, even after the market correction. And it's been a, it's been a really long journey, but we have evolved since the start, right? We used to be a compliance firm and Hey, just outsource your compliance. Cause you as an advisor, your time isn't worth doing compliance. You make too much money per hour to do things you can off offload. And then we started realizing there are other items that they can offload. And so we've evolved into a full service firm that's really built for an advisor that if they just want to, you know, be a relationship manager or go grab a beer, go golfing, you know, Greg glass of wine, whatever it is, you could technically outsource everything else. And that's their choice that they can do. And some people still just use us for the kind of the nuts and bolts of compliance. So it's kind of a cafeteria plan at the end of the day, and they can kind of go in and choose what makes sense for them in their practice. Exactly. And, And different people, right. Have different issues. So I'll give you just a small example, just to highlight it. If you're at a current wirehouse and you're going independent, think about all the things that you need. You need a brand, right? So we created Creative Capital, which is made up of PR. It's made up of marketing. It's made up of technology and communications folks, because we you, we got to help you build a brand, um, you know, your website, all that stuff. So you, you have that onboarding phase, but then there are things day in, day out that you have once you're kind of 
in the mass world that we live in. And that's whether it's investments, insurance, we have a director of mergers and acquisitions, we have a strategic solution department, virtual operation, all those sorts of items. So it just, it is a cafeteria plan. I think that's a great way of saying it. We just have to be able to support what our mission is, which is if they have a vision, we got to be able to help, help them execute it. And in many cases, that's outsourcing things that isn't really worth their time to do. It makes a lot of sense. There's the label super OSJ. That's not what you are on the RIA side and probably not what you want to be declared as either, right? But we also know, you know, that there's been such a humongous buildup in that concept over the last few years. I mean, really, since the time you started to, to now, it's been full steam ahead. There's been a little bit of thought out there regarding firms and having those OSJ responsibilities so centralized to one location and how that could be a little little dangerous. What have your guys' thoughts been regarding that? Have you started to hear anything regarding LPL, or SEC, or anything regarding that? And what are your thoughts going forward there? Well, I think one of the big things of misconception is that the SEC doesn't necessarily like firms like ours. I actually think that they like our firm and firms like ours. Because I think what the model does is it acknowledges that advisors have advisor brain, which is usually very different, right, than compliance brain. And so if they're business owners and they're saying, hey, I believe very seriously that compliance and I want to adhere to all of these things, I just don't have the time to know them all. Like, yeah. how do I, how could I possibly do it? So I'm going to go hire a professional to do it. And so my belief and our firm's belief is outsourcing compliance and those items are actually viewed as positive. And in many cases, I would say they're more centralized and have a little bit more of checks and balance and can remove conflicts. So when you know somebody has something that goes on and we come at them from a partner perspective and say, hey, the way that you're trying to do this, we understand, right? We know what you're trying to do, but there's a better way of getting it done. And let's kind of work together for, a, for an outcome that both parties want. And so I think at the end of the day, our firm should be viewed and all these firms should be viewed as a positive if they take it serious. Now that there's the other side of the coin, which has been somewhat of an issue, which is there are firms that are all about price arbitrage, right? Or, you know, an override type business where they're just skimming off of the revenue. Uh, that's not a system that I believe in. I think ultimately firms that have that, they will be found out. And we'd be happy to talk to the folks that are part of those firms. <laughs> As that happens. And speaking about that, though, I think maximizing profit is something that everybody tries to do to some extent. We're seeing a lot of, with the mergers and acquisitions situation, we're seeing a lot of private equity come into the spot now, right? Where advisors have these, you know, I'm hearing about it at LPL, I'm hearing about it at other firms where, you know, can join the OSJ. There's a, a net benefit of being able to sell a portion of their practice to get entry into private equity or the ability to eventually go public. And my thoughts on that have always been, it's going to be interesting how that all plays because there's so many players coming into that space. My guess is that if you are not already involved in that, people are coming at you, trying to get you involved in that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, we get calls every day. And the reality is that at some point, firms like ours have to do something. And the reason is, is, you know, Bank Russo can only do so much. And there are a lot of programs out there and we're working on a program through different forms of capital, whether it's lending and such, but advisors want to take some chips off the table. And so what firms like ours are trying to solve for is how, to, how can they create an in-house advisor succession plan where they can walk away without having to transfer the assets. And I think our firm, like others, really struggle with coming up with a solution without giving up a piece of their company. 
And so I think you're going to see more and more companies do it. I don't necessarily think PE has to be the answer. There's family office, there's other lending capital. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. But to solve for advisor succession within any independent firm, um, you typically are going to need some form of outside capital to keep those folks here. So we can recruit all day long, but if we're not, if we're not, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're not able to deal with the entire life cycle, at some point there's going to be a gap that's going to create some liability there. I guess I think that it's a positive thing at the end of the day that there's the ability to sell your practice and make sure that your practice, more importantly, is getting passed to the right type of advisors and staying in house. I guess my my thoughts on it are. If unless you're truly an independent RIA, to, to be able to sell portions of practices when they're connected with broker dealers could be somewhat a, di a, a difficult concept. I could see FINRA or the SEC saying what's going on here eventually. Yeah, I mean, it's all up to the contracts. Broker dealers are at a whole different level, right? When you're dealing with FINRA and the world has become so complex. I mean, you know, I, I'm just a dumb sales guy that happens to lead a really good team that does a lot of good things behind the scenes. And, you know, whether it's our chief compliance officer, our director of M&A, these topics are way more complex than what I can even fathom. But I do think to your point, just selling your business, waking up one day and selling it, you're going to have a lot of opportunities and you want to find one that has kind of that foundation of support, not just financially, but you're going to see your clients in the grocery store right? And you're going to want to talk to them about how things are going. And the last thing you're going to want to do is hear them complaining about the person that is now handling their accounts and things like that. So I would highly recommend speaking to whether it's a third party or somebody, we have a CVA, uh, certified valuation analyst, somebody like that to really get an understanding, not just the value, but outside of monetary value, what value is the new group, person, team, what are they bringing to the table that'll help your clients? Just switching topics a little bit, you guys have a, like a studio for your advisors to use, which I think is kind of neat in the concept that like if they want to create commercials or they want to do content, you're very supportive of kind of the new technology realm. And what I've noticed when I went independent was when you're working at a wirehouse or a bank or an insurance company, you're really limited to what you can do online. And you guys are kind of in the forefront of the creation aspect. Talk a little bit about what you guys are doing there. Yeah, well, I mean, the reason for that is when you're a business owner, you get to say your message, right? And when you're at a wirehouse, you're not really given that opportunity because quite frankly, you're an employee. If you're not kind of doing the company line, right? If their clients hear you say one thing and they're sending a commercial that says another and there's a conflict. So that's just the nature of kind of how you're structured. We believe that we have the resources to help advisors you know, again, execute their vision, but utilize the new tools and resources that exist and be, be on the forefront of those things. We bought a, we got a new office space a little bit over two years ago. We ha have a studio built into it. We created the creative capital team, which has the ability to edit, not just shoot the videos and commercials, but edit it and, and those sorts of things. And the times are just very different than they were even five years ago, especially now, right? With, with COVID and people being on Zoom for meetings, and they're just more willing to be engaged online than they would have been previously. And my mother, who actually works at our firm, she's 75, and she's doing Zoom meetings. They, she's talking to her girlfriends and things like that over Zoom. And so somebody like that wouldn't have been engaged. Now, you know, she's checking out LinkedIn, Facebook, all those items and all those areas. So I just think we need to be where clients are. Yeah. And, and it, your clients are online. 
And everything we do is built around making sure the advisor can get their message out. In, in saying that, there's always the concept of when should an advisor go independent or in the bank channel or the brokerage channel, there's a number and there was always a number in my head, though I know people can be happier with less assets. There was kind of a number, a sweet spot of where my book would be big enough, where it would continue to grow. What, I mean, you're perfect. I mean, obviously you're recruiting teams of all sizes, right? You're bringing in billion dollar teams, you're bringing in hundred million dollar teams. What's kind of like the minimum threshold that you think makes sense for a employee channel advisor to consider independent advisors alliance? Yeah, I don't know that there is a minimum. I think it's more a state of mind. Are you wanting and able to be a business owner first and foremost? So I could try to convince you all day that you want to go independent because you could make more money or because you can have your, that's all well and good. But if you don't genuinely want to be a business owner, don't do it. Don't just do it for a little bit of increase in pay. From a numbers perspective, I feel very strongly that it's very similar to when they're telling their clients what they should or shouldn't do. You kind of got to look at the whole picture, right? Holistic view. Yep. And if where, what income you're making now, if you feel very strongly that for the percentage of clients that would need to come over to generate that same income and you want to be a business owner, don't wait. It's just a bigger ship you got to steer later. There are certain scenarios where I would, would back off of that, if you're at a, an environment where you're getting a lot of lead flow, yeah, it's a great opportunity. A lot of bank advisors, they're getting lead flow. They're constantly getting, but a lot of that's dried up. And so if you can maintain the same level of income after expenses, there's no reason in my mind to wait. I just think that that's just a more difficult ship to steer later on. Yeah. I mean, it's everybody's own decision, but at the end of the day, the business owner concept is huge. And you guys are offering a lot of turnkey solutions that can obviously help advisors on the structure of the website, the compliance and all the great stuff you guys are doing. The business is changing. As you said, a lot of things are going online. A lot of things, you know, the robo advisor concept is starting to become really big. And I know there's platforms out there on the bank and wirehouse side that are kind of creating their own robo advisor type of system. Are you guys considering that yet as an RIA with so much money under management where, you know, will allow for service of smaller type of clients, or is that the cost to develop something like that, you know, outside of the realm right now? No, we actually already have it. Okay. Um, and we have multiple ways that advisors and clients can engage with it. So the name of the robo is actually called yellow penguin. Okay. That's if you're an advisor and just want to go ahead and take it off the shelf. People can go to yellowpenguin.com. They can go and do that. It's actually supported by Betterment is the chassis. What most of our advisors do as they brand themselves, we actually can create their unique brand. Uh, so if you're like, for instance, one of them, Blackbridge Financial is a big brand that we have, blackbridgefinancial.com. Well, we have a Blackbridge Robo. So when their clients have, maybe they have grandchildren or something, want to get them started, they're still going to your brand. They're still opening up the account. And what it's a pure robo, but it gives the ability for folks that are trying to kind of save and accumulate assets. Hey, let me just check in once a year. Let me just make sure you're doing okay. But you don't need annual reviews. We don't need to discuss all these other items. We just need you to put in your X amount per month and let's just have a 20 minute meeting at the end of the year. And at some point when your life becomes more complex, let's talk about doing the financial planning and building around that. But the last thing I think people should do is really have a high fee, you know, low entry point for accumulators to go into because they think you're drastically changing 
that outcome too early on. So, but we do have it. We have a lot of advisors that use it and it's very easy both for the advisor and for the, and for the client. That's fantastic. That's actually a huge value add. Didn't know RIAs are doing that. That's really, really, really interesting, really neat. What are qualities you see in the top advisors that, that are part of your firm or even outside of your firm that if the random advisor could instill, they would be so much more successful? There's a term called letting go of the vine. And I struggled with it as a business owner, but essentially you got to, you hire good people and you got to trust them. And in order to build size and scale, even within their practice, they have to find somebody that they trust to take certain things off their plate. And they got to trust that they made the right hire and they got to allow that person to make a few mistakes. And so I think that's a big one. Also just hiring in general. It's really hard because you look at your P&L and you're thinking, okay, when I get here, I'll hire someone. When I get here, I'll hire someone. You hire people before you need them. That's the mindset that I've always had in order to have growth and success. And so before you're comfortable, you got to hire somebody. And so hire early, trust that you hire good people, and then let those good people go to work and reward them for their success. If you do that, you can make yourself obsolete in a very good way within a team. Makes a lot of sense too, because you're right. You get to a point and then you're like, oh, maybe I can wait and I'll grow an extra 20 million before I bring that person on. And it's funny that me and my team were talking about bringing somebody on and when we should bring the next person on. And we're like, oh, well, the market, you know, the fourth quarter here, let's wait till January. Let's consider it, which might maybe is not necessarily a bad idea, but you're right. I think a lot of times not knowing that you have stuff that could be handled by somebody else and then finally just doing that and then realizing that was a a good decision is, is really good advice. So now I'll add one more thing, because I think it's important is, and this isn't a plug on us. I would just say, it's not just investing in human capital, but invest in your business, right? The time that you spend. So do, do a, um, it's just something easy for everyone to do business consulting exercise, right? Whatever you make, whatever your revenue is, figure out what that is per hour. And then take a look at all your tasks and, and start to realize if you're doing an admin task, let's say you're worth $350 an hour, and you're doing an admin task that you can hire somebody for 30 bucks an hour, just think about that. Think about that time, right? And so if you learn to outsource appropriately in addition to staff, I really think that's where it gets to be really fun and that's where it gets to be scalable. And where the growth can come from, for sure. Robert, it was awesome having you on. I asked this question on everyone, and I think it's a good way to kind of revisit the things we touch base on. Is there something that we didn't get to touch base on that you think would be a true value add to the different financial advisors that are out there listening to this podcast? Yeah. I, there, so there's one element of business that, that we as advisors, because we typically get grown up in the wirehouse world, we talk about your biggest assets and we talk about homes and 401ks and right retirement plan. There is no reason we shouldn't be helping 25, 30, 40, and 50 year olds now, rather than waiting until the moment they retired to explain why they made so many mistakes over the last 35 years. And so wherever you are, wherever you're affiliated with, if you don't have it, figure it out, make it happen, but find a way to work with participants of current plans and don't wait for that rollover, that, that kind of conflicted interest on should I roll it or not based upon getting paid or not, go to where the money is meet your clients where they have it already and give them good advice so they're successful. 
Awesome. And give a little plug for Independent Advisors Alliance. There's a million advisors out there. Some are happy where they are. Some are not. You know, what, why are they coming to you instead of every other hybrid out there? Yeah, I mean, it's going to come to some of the fun kind of mushy stuff, right? It's going to be culture. But I think I opened it with size and scale versus a good service model. Don't choose, right? You're at a, you're at a good firm. LPL is a good firm. And then you have other good firms that are just different, right? They're just, maybe they don't have size and scale, but maybe, maybe they have a really good service model. And so find a place where you can marry the two, a firm like ours, obviously that's my plug and you get the best of both worlds, get support. Um, it's economically advantageous. And then really try to understand if you really want to own your business and you want to control your destiny, find a firm that can help you get there. Fantastic. That's, that's going to be us. Love it. Robert, if, uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, how do they reach you? Uh, LinkedIn is great. Uh, you can email me at rrusso at iaaria.com. Check us out at independentadvisoralliance.com. Um, all of those would be great avenues. Fantastic. And just kudos to your success. What you've built over the last eight years, nine years now is truly great. And the scale, you know, looking at the support team that you have around you, it looks like you've got a support team of over 20 there for the advisors, which is phenomenal, uh, specialists in all different areas. So kudos to you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And for the advisors out there, if you want to get in touch with Robert or any questions at all, you can always find us on LinkedIn and, and wherever you get your podcast. Thanks and take care.